Pray this, Lord, that as we open your word for the souls that are in this place, that if they have not received Jesus Christ as Lord, they would do so today. In the name of Jesus Christ, all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. Our text this morning is John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. I want to begin by making this statement that I believe this morning there are millions of people across this world, in Canada, in America, in Europe, in Africa, in South America, in Australia, all across this world, I believe that there are millions of people sitting in church this morning that are just like Nicodemus. And with that, I would add, with absolute fear and trembling in my heart, I believe that there are thousands of people not just sitting in churches, but ministering in churches that are just like Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a specific type of man. The Bible tells us that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a person that was involved and part of a religious sect. This elite group of people that have dedicated their lives to be set apart from society unto God that have dedicated their lives to not only live according to the Torah, according to the Old Testament, but to live even with extra regulations on top of it. These Pharisees, this group of 6,000 in Israel, were esteemed by the common man. They were praised by the common man because of their religiosity, because of their practice, because of their tradition. Nicodemus was not only a Pharisee, Nicodemus was also a ruler of the Jews. The ruler of the Jews, meaning there is this group of people, not just the Pharisees, but the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were not a group of 6,000, 5,000, 4,000, 1,100. They were a group of 70 men playing a role as like the Supreme Court, making rules, making judgments. And this is the man that we are introduced to in John chapter 3. This is not an ordinary man. This is a popular man. This is a religious man. This is a man who knows things of the Bible. In fact, if you wanted to be a Pharisee, you needed to memorize not a verse, not five verses. You needed to memorize the first five books of the Bible. We're not talking about a prostitute. Jesus met with prostitutes. We're not talking about a tax collector. We're talking about a religious man. Popular, esteemed, 
wealthy, but missing something. We notice that he comes to Jesus by night. Jesus is making people think and talk now. He's, he's the talk of the town. And Nicodemus, this religious man, is very curious because there's something about this Jesus. And he comes to him by night. And people argue, why did Nicodemus come by night? Was he hiding from the other Pharisees? Was it because Nicodemus was busy during the day and Jesus was busy during the day, so the night was the best time to meet? I believe more importantly than the physical picture is the spiritual picture. That we see, yes, he's coming by night. But in reality, Nicodemus himself is in the dark and he is now coming to the light of the world. And as he comes to Jesus, he says some particular things. He says, Rabbi, which means teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Now Nicodemus comes up to Jesus and he says certain things. They're not bad things. In fact, they're good things. In fact, they're true things. And this is why I personally believe, and I'm sure many in here would agree, that a majority of people that are sitting in churches, and maybe even in this church this morning, are like Nicodemus. Because they know, they look, they talk, and if you were to even ask them about Jesus, I'm sure they would tell you the right things about Jesus. But you can know the right things about Jesus and not know Jesus. You can say the right things about Jesus and still not know Jesus. Nicodemus is saying the right things, but he doesn't have the full revelation. And we can look at one another today and talk about Jesus and if somebody were to come up to you and say, who's Jesus to you? You would probably say the right things. And instead of Jesus praising Nicodemus, instead of Jesus looking at Nicodemus and saying, wow, Nicodemus, surely God has revealed this to you. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. No, no, no. He completely bypasses Nicodemus' statements and he goes straight to the heart of the issue. He says, you know what, Nicodemus? You got to be born again. Doesn't compliment him, doesn't praise him, doesn't pat him on the back, doesn't even say that you're near the kingdom of God. He looks straight at Nicodemus, straight in the eyes, and he says, truly, truly, I say unto you, you must be born again. Imagine this man of prestige, this man of integrity, this religious man, spoken well of by all people. And here comes Jesus looking at him saying, you got to be born again. All the things that you are, Nicodemus, and all the things that you say is not what I'm looking for. Now, what would you do if you were Nicodemus at this point? Because Nicodemus really had two options. Like many people, Nicodemus could... Look at Jesus and say, how dare you challenge me? Do you know who I am? Do you know I grew up in the church? Do you know who my father is? Do you know how much money I give to the church? Do you know that I was baptized as a baby? Who do you think you are, Jesus, telling me I got to be born again? Or, like Nicodemus, you can humble yourself. And you can say, I don't know what you just said, 
But there's something about you, and I know that there's something about me that needs to know what this means. If you're the second part, the rest of this message is for you. If you're the first part, I pray for your soul. Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, he stayed, he was curious, he was hungry. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered them, because if you stick long enough, if you really want to know the truth, Jesus will reveal himself more and more. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Plain English. If you're not born again, if you have not experienced this born again reality, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. These are not my words. This is not the statement of a church or a denomination. These are the letters of red in the Bible. Jesus says it. Unless you are born again, you will not enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Without getting too theological, without looking at different arguments, what is Jesus trying to say? He's not saying that if you were born of water, meaning baptism, that you will be saved. Baptism does not save you. doesn't matter if you were a baby. doesn't matter if you did it here today. He's not talking about physical water here. What Jesus is saying is that unless you are born of water and the Spirit, referring to synonymous terms, two of the same thing from the Old Testament, you will not be born again. Unless God from heaven does a cleaning work in your heart and transform the innermost part of your being, you will not have eternal life. And so the question is, why must we be born again? It's this idea of a baby coming into life, and Jesus is saying, you got to do that again. Not physically, your spiritual man. It's got to come back to life. you got to start fresh again. And that is only part of Full, rather, that's a full work of the Holy Spirit. But why? The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2.3 that we all by nature, every single person in here, including myself, every neighbor in this neighborhood, every other person in church, every person that's sleeping in this morning, we're all born with a nature, sin nature. And the Bible identifies every single man as a child of wrath. What does that mean? It means this. Because we all were born with this sin nature, with this Adamic nature, all the way from our first parents that sinned against God. We have all inherited, not love, we have all inherited the wrath of God. We have all sinned against God. We have all spat in His face with our lives. From our hearts, we have rebelled against Him. You know, somebody says, well, if God is a good God, why doesn't he take care of the evil in the world? How can God, who is so good, take care of all the wickedness that's happening here on the earth? You know what the answer is? If he were to do that, he would have to take care of you and me. You want him to take care of the evil in the world? You know where it's coming from? Your heart. All the filth and all the wickedness that we see in this world is not coming from outer space. It's coming from the depths of the souls of men. Every single soul that is not regenerated is a sewer of filth and garbage and rebellion against God. Jesus said in Mark 7.20 that from within a man, out of his heart comes adultery and sexual morality and, and murder and theft and envy, pride, jealousy. All of that comes from the sewer of our hearts. And because of that, because of our nature, we're all children of wrath. 
We all deserve the judgment of God. We all deserve eternal separation from God because we have sinned against Him. And so he says, because that's your nature, men and women, you must be born again. You have to have a new nature. You have to be transformed. And it's not something that you can do within yourself. That's not something you can produce within your own strength. The Bible says in Jeremiah 2, though you wash yourself with much lye and soap, the guilt and the stain of it still remains. You can scrub yourself with good works all you want. You can keep all the sacraments all you want. You can get baptized 18 times and more all you want. It doesn't matter what you do. There is still guilt that remains. There is still that sin nature in you. And God is perfectly holy. And he is perfectly just. And because of his own nature, if we don't have his nature and come into his presence, you're annihilated. His very presence will destroy us because of the sin that remains in us. So what's the solution? In Ezekiel 18.31, God speaks to the prophet and he says, I want you to make yourselves clean and I want you to get rid of the sin in your own heart. Do it. Clean up. And you know what that should provoke within us? If you're humble enough, you would say, I can't. That's like a doctor coming up to you and you're burning with stage four cancer. And the doctor say, you know what, perform surgery on yourself. Take that cancer out from yourself. Hopeless. There's no way. And he says, exactly. So instead of Ezekiel 18.31, he goes to Ezekiel 36. And he says, I will give you a new heart. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk according to my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I'm going to do that work for you. I'm going to come in and change you. And that's why he says in John 1.12, one of the most glorious promises in the New Testament, Jesus himself says, rather a commentary of Jesus, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Meaning this, that if you are a child of wrath, the way to become born again is to receiving Jesus and believing on his name. And through that, you become not a child of wrath, but are translated into becoming a child of God. That is the good news. It's what Jesus Christ has done for you. It's not what you have done for yourself or what you will ever do for yourself. It's through the repentance of my sins and the belief of what he's done for me that I come to a place where his Holy Spirit indwells me, changes me, and makes me a new creature in Christ. That is what each person testified of today. That they have become born again, transformed, renewed by humbling themselves and acknowledging that they needed Jesus. And so he looks at Nicodemus and he says, don't marvel that I tell you, you must be born again. And then he goes over to verse 8 and he says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. He says, listen, you know the wind? You can't see it, can you? No. And at this time, you couldn't predict where it was going either. No. That's like God. You can't see God. You can't control God and make him do what you want to do. The wind blows where it wishes. And some of you 
can testify to that. You can't see wind, but if you go and you drive down the highway in a country road somewhere and you look over to your left and you see the tall grass and you see the wind blowing over that grass, or you're in a park and it's a windy day and you can't see the wind, but you can see the trees being affected by the wind. What he's saying here is that though people cannot see God, they can see the effects of God. And because they can see the effects of God, they can testify that God is probably real. In the same manner, what Jesus is saying here, that as the wind blows where it wishes and affects your life, though people cannot see God, they should be able to look at your life and see the consequences of your life and say, surely there must be some other being because I see something different in you. I see the effects of some other being on your life. You say this is Jesus, I can believe it in some sense because I look at your life and I see the effects of him on your life. In other words, you cannot claim to be born again and not have results. Everybody says they're born again. Celebrities say they're born again. Politicians say they're born again. Every, who isn't born again? Show me your life. The same author that told us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that you must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of heaven is the same author that tells us the evidence of one who has truly been born again. And so for the sake of time, we're not going to go through all of it. But in 1 John, he tells us how you know you're born again. This is the most important truth. Because without it, you will not see the kingdom of God. How do I know that I'm born again? 1 John 5.1 tells us, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. How do I know if I'm born again? Number one, you believe that Jesus and only Jesus is the way to eternal life. You believe that God the Father has sent Jesus Christ, his Son, on the earth to walk in the flesh, to take upon himself the sin of the world, yes, yours and mine, who died upon that cross and shed his royal blood for all humanity, who died and went into the grave and rose again after three days and is reigning and will come back again and is only through belief in his name that you have access to eternal life. Jesus is more than a prophet. He's more than a good teacher. There's no co-redeemer with Christ. It is only Jesus. It is only his work. It is not Jesus plus your works. It is not Jesus plus, yes, your sacraments, yes, your church attendance. It is only Jesus. Do you believe that? If you do, that's a good indication that you're born again. But it doesn't stop there. 1 John 2, 7. He tells us something else. Rather, 29. 1 John 2, 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. How do I know if I'm born again? Well, yeah, I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. That's great. But that belief is not merely intellectual. It's transformational. And so he says, you know, he's righteous. And you can be sure that those who have been born of God practice righteousness. In other words, because you've repented of your sins and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, because you acknowledge that your sin put him on the cross, you turn from your sin and say, Lord, I need your salvation you have this new desire now not to live in sin, but to practice righteousness. You want to live like God. This is not a desire you had before you were born again. In fact, it was a foreign idea. 
You could care less about living for God. You live for yourself. You live for your own desires. Whatever impulsion you had, you went for it because you don't have a new heart. And those who have been born of God practice righteousness. Now, how do you know if you're righteous? How do you know God if you want to imitate God? His word. And I would argue this. Those who have been born of God want to practice righteousness because the Bible says so. But you can't practice righteousness or imitate God unless you know who God is. When you're born again, you have this supernatural hunger for the word of God. Like a newborn baby who is born into the world and immediately wants food, so is it so with a man who has been born of the Spirit, is hungry for the things of God. And that is found in the, the pure spiritual milk, which is the Word. You begin to hunger for this Word. Before you were born again, this was just black ink on white pages. It collected dust. It was your vacuum at home more than anything. But when you become born again, this Word has life. You want to know God. You want to know how you can live for God. That is the result of the Holy Spirit in you. Do you desire to practice righteousness? Not so you can get God's approval, but because from his approval you want to live for him. It's not just that. 1 John 3, 9 tells us, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. A man who has been truly transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. A man who has truly repented of his sins and given his life to Jesus Christ. In dwelling and receiving the seal of the Holy Spirit. Cannot live in sin anymore. Now it doesn't say that a man who has been born of God cannot sin. He says a man who has been born of God cannot make a practice of sinning. Big difference. See, before you and I were born again, if you are born again, if you've truly experienced that, you drank sin like it was water. It was nothing to you. You had no problem sinning. Sure, your conscience bothered you a little bit here and there, but it was almost a reflex. I want to sin. Here's sin. Let's do it. No problem. But when you have come to that place where you've been transformed by God, you sin differently. The thing that you first love now becomes the thing that you hate. God has opened your eyes to the vileness of sin and the destructive nature of it. And more importantly, how it hurts the heart of God. And you cannot live in the thing that you first lived in with your old sin nature. Now you fight against it. You pray against it. You walk against it. Sure, you fall into it here and there, but you get back up. You walk again. You say, Lord, cleanse me. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Remove not your presence from me. There's a new reaction to sin when you're born again. Oh, I, I hope we're convinced here that this is, this Christianity is more than just going to church. And he says here, back in 1 John 5, 1, as I conclude, everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. When you become born again, you have this supernatural love deposited in your heart for God and for God's people. I'm not asking this morning if you know God. This morning, the Word of God is not even asking if you know about God. Nicodemus knew about God. He had facts about God. He said the right things about God. Do you love Him? Do you love God? Do you realize that he's a person and that he's real?
Do you realize that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, for you personally? Not just for the world, for you. Galatians 2.20, Paul said he died for me and gave himself up for me. When you become born again, you see God as a person, you love God as a person, you have a relationship with him like a person. I would encourage you today, sometime today, run into your room, close the door, open that Bible, go to 1 John, read the whole letter, and ask yourself, am I truly born again? Do the things that the Holy Spirit testify of what a child of God really looks like when he's given his life to Christ, does it testify about me? What happened to Nicodemus? Because we don't see an answer from Nicodemus. We only see Nicodemus reappear two times after this encounter in John chapter 3. And the last encounter we have with Nicodemus in the scriptures is in John chapter 19, verse 38. This is after Jesus Christ dies and his body is retrieved by Joseph, one of his disciples. It says here, after these things, Joseph, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. So he's saying, I want his body. I want to take care of his body. I want to put his body in my tomb. And Pilate gave him permission. Who are we introduced to here? So he came and took away his body. Verse 39. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. Nicodemus shows up with Joseph. That's an interesting thing. Because right now, Jesus' disciples are all on high alert. The 12, rather the 11, are hiding People are, they don't want to be known as his disciples right now. They're terrified. They don't want any associate up to this point with Jesus. But here comes this disciple, Joseph, who wants his body. And the same Nicodemus, who we would argue was afraid to be seen by other people in John chapter 3, now comes in John chapter 19 by night. And someone argue, well, he's afraid again. I would argue against that. He's coming by night, but with a different heart posture. He's coming by night, and if he really wanted to be discreet, if Nicodemus really didn't want to be seen by people, he wouldn't bring 75 pounds of perfume with him. That doesn't sound like being secretive to me. What I see in Nicodemus is I'm willing to pour out myself on Jesus. And if I get caught, I get caught. If you really didn't want to be known, you wouldn't bring 75 pounds. I'm sure Nicodemus had a cart or something. You would bring a little bottle like that. Let's anoint Jesus' body. But no, 75 pounds. It doesn't need 75 pounds. A body doesn't need 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. But he's making a statement. And I love this statement because he's not using words. It's all action. It's all action. Whether Nicodemus was truly born again after this, I do not know. But I see something in Nicodemus' actions that testifies of something of his heart. Here he is, 75 pounds of aloes, of myrrh. And he's not going around telling people, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Oh yeah, praise God. Mm. He's backing it up with action. Are you born again? Can you testify 
At one point in your life, you have realized that you needed Jesus Christ as Lord, and you've given himself, you received him, given yourself to him, not because you are a good person, not because you have knowledge, but because you know that you're a sinner, and only him and reaching down into your heart can remove that heart of sin. And I know I'm going a little bit long here, but I'll end with this story. What's holding you back if you're not born again? Your pride. The fact that everybody knows you as a religious person. Listen, you can fool everybody. You're not fooling God. What are you waiting for? What's holding you back from saying, I want to be born again? What is it? There's a story of a man, a fisherman in Antarctica, up north, where it's freezing cold, and he was fishing by a riverbank. And as he was there, he saw this dead carcass, this deer with a little bit of flesh left on it. And here's this dead carcass, and it's floating by the riverbank. And as he's watching it, he looks up and he sees this beautiful eagle, and it's swarming down, and it lands on this dead carcass. And as he lands and he digs his claws into that dead deer, he begins to feed off of it. Now the fisherman knew something, that at the end of this river there was a fall, there was a, there was a pit, so to speak. It was going to end and there was this deep, deep fall. And he saw this eagle and he realized that the eagle knew it as well because he would eat of the flesh and then he would look up. And then he would go back and eat of this dirty, filthy thing and look up. And he was trying to time himself before this dead carcass would be taken off the cliff. And as this fisherman watched, he saw this dead carcass coming to the end of that cliff. And he saw this eagle lift up its wings, ready to fly off of this carcass. But as this eagle, eagle lifted up its wings, tried to fly away, he realized that his claws were frozen to this dead carcass. And once that dead carcass went over the cliff, it took the eagle down with him. That's like many people today. They're feeding off of sin. They're sitting at the devil's table. And they know that there's an end to their life. They know in their conscience that they're going to stand before God. But you know what they do? They just eat a little bit more. And they look up. And they eat a little bit more. And they say, I'll do this at 45 years old. I'll give my life to at 45. They eat, I'm just going to have a little bit more sex. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to mess around a little bit more, I'm just going to cheat a little bit more, I'm just going to gamble a little bit more. They want to feed off of sin, they want to feed off of sin, they look up and they look up, but you don't realize when your end is coming. You don't realize that if you hold on to that sin long enough, it might take you down with it. Why would you wait when Jesus is giving you an opportunity today? Pray with me, please. Father, we ask this morning that those who have not truly been born again would humble themselves to realizing your grace and your mercy that you've died for them. And that sin in their lives is not your will. In fact, you want to remove that sin and give them life and life more abundantly. Not just eternal life, but life now. And so, Lord, we take heed to the words of you who said, truly, truly, you must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. And we say, Lord, change my heart because I can't change it on my own. 
I can't do this. I need your power. I need your mercy. So, Son of David, have mercy on me. And so, Lord, let not one person leave here the same. By your grace and by your mercy, would you extend life and life eternal. In Jesus' name we pray.